Hey friends, today's episode is brought to you by Engageo, the leader in account-based marketing and sales with their all-in-one solution. Are you familiar with account-based marketing and sales? I mean, if you're selling to the enterprise, to big business, account-based strategies are the new wave of doing business. If you're selling to the enterprise, if you're dealing with multiple decision makers, if you need to close larger deals, then an account-based approach is a necessity. However, while there's a lot of talk out there about account-based marketing and sales, there's very little actionable advice on strategies and tactics you need to take. So our friends at Engageo asked dozens of independent sales and marketing experts, leaders in their fields, to contribute their recommendations about what you need to know to get started with it. And Engageo has compiled the collective wisdom of these experts into a most comprehensive guide that reveals everything you need to know about using account-based strategies to win bigger deals. It's called The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Sales Development. It's free, and you need it. So head over to Engageo.com forward slash Accelerate and grab your copy today. That's Engageo.com forward slash Accelerate. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to Accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 454 of Accelerate a sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. It would really help us out if you took a minute right now, went to iTunes, subscribed to this podcast, and left us a review. I would really appreciate that. So are you in a sales slump? Then visit accelerate.fm forward slash spark to find out how to restart the engine on your sales machine by downloading my free step-by-step guide titled How to Spark a Sales Turnaround. It's based on my interviews with over 300 of the world's leading sales experts right on the show. That's packed full of actionable advice that you can use and you're selling right now. That's accelerate.fm forward slash spark to download your free copy of this guide today. Joining me on the show is Lincoln Murphy. He's a customer success architect and mentor at Storm Ventures in Silicon Valley and co-author of a really interesting book titled Customer Success, How Innovative Companies Can Reduce Churn and Grow Recurring Revenue. Really looking forward to talking with Lincoln because I've spent a lot of time on this show with my guests talking about new customer acquisition. And In fact, the sales world is fixated on this topic somewhat justifiably, and it's very important. But as Lincoln and his co-authors point out in their fine book, if you aren't obsessed with improving time to value and making your customers wildly successful with your product or service, then you're going to have a lot of churn. And even at churn rates that appear to be modest on the surface, you won't be able to bring on new customers fast enough to prevent a death spiral. So Lincoln Murphy, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, thanks for having me. So what was the impetus to write the book? Um, you know, look, it, it, there, ha- there wasn't one. And, and this is something that we need to, you know, more companies need to understand that, that, you can't continue to grow at all costs, you know, doing whatever you can to acquire whatever type of companies that you are customers that you can, um, and, and churn and burn through, through, through those customers and expect to come out the other end successful. I mean, it's, it's the timing was just right. Um, and you know, I think it was, it was a good, it was, it was a topic that needed to be covered and really cool that we get to say that, you know, we wrote the book on customer success. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised um, no one else to grab the name first. I know, right? right? It's not like this was the first book on the topic. It was just the first one that had that uh, title. Um, but, you know, the, the bottom line is um, a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of uh, executives have, have realized, and certainly investors have realized that, um, you know, 
you, you can't continue, like you said in the introduction, you can't continue to lose customers um, and expect to grow in any, in any meaningful way. And, and, and honestly, I think we have to be realistic about this or expect to be in business for the long term if you continue to churn and burn customers. Um, the the, the yeah. power sort of shifted, right? And, yeah. and we, can't just, we can't just say, well, okay, we got that customer. We're good to go. I mean, now we need to really focus on making sure that they're getting real value from their relationship with us. And that's what the book was about. And that's what I spend all of my waking hours <laughs> uh, doing is trying to get trying to get people to realize that this is, uh, it's, it's incredibly important. We'll talk about that. Sure. So, I mean, you start the story off really with a, a bang. And so a story about this gentleman named David Dempsey uh, at Salesforce back in 2005. And yeah, why don't you pick up there and, and uh, sort of relate a little bit about that? Because it, it really is a great story. And, and given it's about Salesforce, that's this huge megalith that we all know today. Right. It was a little bit different story. <laughs> well, it, it, it was. And I mean, it, what I'd like, I mean, what I, cause I know where our, our time is limited and, and of course that's in the book. Um, and it's actually, it's a story that's pretty well known, but what I want to really, what, what I want to, I think would be interesting is sort of, it's a takeoff of that. And, and it kind of goes, it goes into some stuff that's not in the book. Mm-hmm. And that is how did we get to this point where customer success is this, this sort of, um, this new operating model for not just SaaS businesses, but, but really any kind of business. And it goes back to actually that Genesis at Salesforce when, when customer success was, uh, coined, not just as a term, but really as, as a, as an operating philosophy for the company. And it said, look, you know, we, we have to make sure that our customers are getting value from us. What happened was, you know, obviously Salesforce did the most successful SaaS company, um, ever and and obviously has a lot of people working there well what happened is you you had as you do in in companies you have people leaving and those people that were early at salesforce left to become investors themselves they left to uh start companies and and then other people uh that came on a little bit later they they left to maybe start companies or, or, or go work at other companies. And what you had was this, this cross pollination of, of these ideas around this concept of customer success. And really where it started to take, take hold was in with the, the investors were really starting to get more mature in the way they looked at subscription businesses and being able to say, you know, Hey, um, you look like you're losing a lot of customers this month, um, in, or, or over the last quarter, you know, what can we do about that? And, and you had people that had exposure to what Salesforce was doing saying, well, you know, we used to do this or we, you know, we kind of looked at it this way. And so that cross pollination really started to, to take hold. And so it was, it was, it's interesting, you know, that you, you sort of start with that, that story about what happened to Salesforce, because that wasn't, it wasn't just, where customer success started it's because that's where it started and because kind of those those people went on to other places sure. that that we got you know this this understanding of this this new kind of way of thinking but also in SaaS primarily so not just salesforce but as we move kind of out in you know, concentric circles out from the the salesforce ecosystem you get to this point where you have a lot of subscription revenue right tied up in the in these saas businesses and you had a maturing of that of the people that were coming into those those businesses from a customer success perspective and you had investors who either had that exposure to, to salesforce directly or obviously saw what was going on there and it just kind of all boiled over and said you know i think it's it's time to start looking at 
this whole thing is not just about customer acquisition. It's about acquiring customers that are going to be here for the long haul and growing our relationship with them right. over time. And so real quick, one of the ways, and this isn't in the book because the book is, is you know, it, it was very specific. We worked with Wiley and I can go, we could spend hours talking about the whole book writing experience, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of things that either aren't in the book because, um, of, of their amazing editors, um, or just because they're things that have come up since then. I mean, the book was published in, in early 2016, but even in that, just in the last year, I think we're going on just about a year since the book has been out. Um, things have evolved. And, and one of the things that I, I talk about a lot is customer success driven growth. So I've even tried to reposition customer success as as that growth driver, just to kind of differentiate it from what other what some people might think of customer success as simply a way to well, unfortunately as the title of the book says you know a way to reduce churn. Um, I look at it as you know once you once you get churn out of the way, now it's a growth driver, right? Now we can get our customers to stay longer. That's the reducing churn part. But now we can get them to buy more. And we can get them to invite us into other parts of their business and we can get them to advocate for us externally, right? Tell, tell their friends and peers about us. If we can do all of those things, that is a significant growth driver. Right. The problem is those four things that we all say we want <laughs> um, aren't necessarily things that, that most companies operationalize around. Right. They kind of still leave it up to chance. And, and I think if you look at customer success driven growth as that growth engine that you can apply to your business, you can get all four of those things. But it absolutely starts and kind of what you, what you were saying very early on here. It absolutely starts with making sure that we we don't just grow at all costs. We don't just go out and try to acquire as many customers as we can. We acquire customers that have success potential right. in the first place. So, so uh, yeah. So I, I do want just so I don't leave people hanging is, you know, the, the basic story <laughs> of, the, of the Salesforce was that. <laughs> You know, Dave Dempsey, a senior executive, says, look, you know, we're, we're churning at 8% per month, which is virtually 100% turnover per year. And, you know, we can't pour enough new business into the top of the funnel to sustain real growth at that rate. Right. So we've got a problem. So, I mean, here was an existential threat, like I said, to this company that's, that, you know, we all know and, and like and look up to. It's like, well, really, it wasn't that long ago that they really had to come to face with, come to grips with the fact that, you know, they were sort of like, uh, you know, HBO back in the 80s and 90s that would, had similar churn rates on their pay subscription services and were also faced a real existential threat. I mean, basically 100% turnover in customers right. every year. Well, and that's, yeah, and I, I sorry, I meant to go back and sort of close that loop. Um, but you're right. Well, that's and, why and I'm that's here. The thing. Yeah, I <laughs> appreciate that. Um, but like you said, I mean, it, it may not seem like a, a very big churn rate. But the reality is it adds up. Oh, right? yeah. So you look, oh, so it's, it's, it's single digits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eight times 12 it, is 96. It starts <laughs> to become a major problem. But you know what I, what I always like to remind people is it's not here's, – here's the thing about churn. Customers churn for one of two reasons, and these are, these are, these are the only reasons. One, they, something happens to them. They go away. They go out of business. Um, maybe they get acquired, though, mm-hmm. even – I say if they get acquired, that maybe should be an opportunity, but we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and figure that in here. So they either go away, you know, they go out of business or they get acquired. The other reason they don't, they don't stay with us, the reason that they churn is because they didn't achieve their desired outcome through their interactions with us. And my definition of customer success is when your customers achieve their desired outcome through their interactions with your company. That's, the, that's, that's it. Now, why they don't achieve their desired outcome is 
you know, there's, there's several reasons. One could be that you acquired a customer that never had success potential in the first place, right? So this is the growing at all costs. We'll sign any customer that will, that will sign. We'll do, you know, we'll do whatever we can to acquire as many customers as possible, even if they don't have success potential. And that's a problem. Um, the other reason is we acquire customers with success potential, but we don't do the things necessary to make them successful. And, and, you know, so when you have a high churn rate, it's not necessarily because, they're all bad fit customers. It could very well be that you are just simply not doing the things through all of your interactions with them to ensure that they achieve that desired outcome. So, I mean, I think that's, that's something that's really important to, to keep in mind. Um, and, and once we start to understand that, we understand that churn really is just a symptom of an underlying disease. It's not a disease itself. Then it, that's the underlying diseases when your customers don't achieve their desired mm -hmm. outcome. If we can solve that underlying disease, churn goes away. If we just focus on churn though, and this is, this is the, the interesting part. If all we do is focus on churn reduction through discounts and, and, you know, making it difficult to cancel and, and not starting discussion around renewal until it's too late for the customer. Right. A week to, before contracts <laughs> up. Exactly. Um, if we do all those gimmicks and tricks, Ultimately, we're not solving the real issue. We're just sort of taking care of the symptom and it's going to it's still going to be there and it's going to cause us problems long term. So that's why, you know, when I talk about customer success driven growth, it's all about ensuring that our customers are achieving that desired outcome. We're operationalizing around that and we're we're giving them opportunities to grow their their relationship with us based not on our internal need to hit some quota or make our internal number, but rather to ensure that they are simply achieving their desired outcome and that we're putting the right offer in front of them at the right time. So right. that's a and you, whole, whole and you see that all the time with people renewing, giving discounts to people to renew. And, you know, here right. you are with your renewal business that's supposed to be with the existing customer, supposed to be a lower cost of acquisition for dollar of revenue. And yet they end up going back, basically looking at a new acquisition cost almost. Well, and this is why you need to be really careful when you say, well, what's your churn rate? Well, I could, I could tell you I have a hundred percent renewal retention. Right. right. But At what price? I could have had a, right. I could have had a fifty percent revenue churn because I offered everybody a fifty percent discount to stay. So you have to look at both, right? And that's why that one of the metrics that we look at in customer success, and really this is not just a customer success metric, but something that everybody should be looking at if they have a recurring revenue business for sure. And that is net revenue retention, and that's that's it's a complicated metric to 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 get access to, but at, at the core, it's pretty simple. It just says we start this month with this much revenue from this, from our existing customers. And at the end of that month, we end up with this much revenue net of any revenue churn, mm -hmm. but also including any upsells or cross sells that came only from that existing customer base, not taking into consideration any, any new customers that were acquired in that month. And if we have greater than a hundred percent, it means even if we lost some, some revenue through churn, we're making up for that with upsells and cross sells. And if we're greater than a hundred percent, it, and if we're especially, you know, if we're really good, we're in the 120, 130% range. That means we could actually turn off new customer acquisition and not just continue to exist as a company, but grow for at least some period of time. Now you take that and you, you attach that to a, a, a customer acquisition machine. Um, and now you have just an amazing growth engine. Right. So, I mean, that, that's what we're looking for. All right. Well, what, what I want to do is sort of run through. You guys have in the book sort of 10 laws of customer success. Sure. We, sort of, we sort of touched on one of them already, which was selling to the right customer. Um, and, you know, certainly for the reasons you talked about why, why some are the right customers, why some are the wrong customers. And 
I think one of the things that you didn't touch on, but I think it's important to get into is, is you, you delve into the book in terms of product market fit, is that you, know, you can have a customer that has a huge revenue potential and it can be the wrong customer. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a, I mean, that's, we see that all the time. And, and, and what I like to remind people of is it, and, and you see this with the way that we segment customers, it's all based on what they pay us. But the reality is, um, that's, that's not really what we should be basing this stuff on. It should be based on the way we segment should be based on our, our, the appropriate experience for the customer. Um, because we, that's, that's going to tell us what we need to, to give that customer in order for them to be successful. And what I say is, look, if you can't give the customer the appropriate experience based on, on what they need, you could reduce what you give them, but that would be an inappropriate experience. What you should really do is say right now, they're not a good fit for us. And I would rather pass on a customer today and come back to them in a few months when they are a good fit than churn and burn them uh, and, and ultimately reduce my overall total addressable market. Because when a customer leaves, this is really, really critical to understand. When a customer churns out, they don't just take with them the revenue that they're giving us and whatever it cost us to acquire them and serve them in the, in the interim. There's probably some unquantifiable either amount of revenue or, or number of customers out there that they also take with them through any negative sentiment that was that was generated by us not uh, not really living up to our agreement to give them the value that we said we would when we sold them. So when you're churning and burning your customers, you are you're actively reducing your total addressable market. And I'll give you a quick, just a really quick sure. uh, anecdote. Um, I've worked for, I worked with several companies over the years. Um, but I'll tell you, this was something we did at Gainsight early on. It's, it's not something that, you know, it's not a practice that was continued, but, um, very early on we, we sold, uh, to customers that, well, Gainsight's built on Salesforce. We sold sure. to some customers that didn't use Salesforce. Well, <laughs> that should probably be, um, you know, one of the things that indicates whether the customer is going to be successful, right? So there was not a technology fit, but we sold and eventually it came back to bite us. And, and what's, what's interesting is over the next, gosh, next year, year and a half, there would be, um, those, those companies that we churned out probably three, uh, would show up in our loss reports. So when we would get a third party to go talk to customers that we lost, that we didn't sign, those would come up as examples or reasons why they chose not to do business with us. So we churned and burned not thousands of customers, but three. And those came back to bite us mm-hmm. in, in lots of different time, lots of different situations sure. that came up. How much revenue did we lose and how much valuation from, you know, of, at the company level did we lose because we signed customers that we shouldn't have. Right. And, and, so, and the motivation, into it. motivation you see oftentimes, especially in, in SaaS companies, is you know, the fascination with the logo mm-hmm. is, you know, this count. If we can get this, that'd be a great reference count. That. Great yep. reference count if we can just get it. And it, <laughs> that's so awesome. Right. It, somebody who doesn't get value from you, probably not going to be a good reference. Yeah. So I mean, right there. And and that's something that's interesting from a sales perspective. When I when I do so I do a lot of sales training as well, customer success driven sales. Um, you know. If, if you're acquiring customers that don't have success potential, you are violating one of the key rules from my perspective, which is every, I, should, I shoot for 100% referenceable 
customer base. I don't want to acquire a customer that is never going to be referenceable. Um, and from a sales perspective, if you are a, a professional salesperson, if you care about your career, if you care about your customers, but certainly if you care about your career, you will look at your customers as at, from that perspective. I want them to be 100% referenceable so that when I move on to the next job, or if I'm trying to get another job, I could actually get them to talk to my customers. Mm-hmm. Not, not just the last company I worked for, but literally, hey, go talk to these customers and have them be a reference for me. That's how really, really great salespeople think. And you know, if you're going into a situation where you are, you're not 100% sure that they'll be successful, or on the flip side, you know for sure they won't be successful, and you're closing that customer, you are actively setting them up for failure. And ultimately, you're going to set the, com- the, company, the company up for failure. The stakeholders up for failure. And I'll tell you this, as a salesperson, if I'm working for a company that allows bad fit customers to be, to be signed, um, I'm going to go work somewhere else because that is eventually going to catch up to me as a salesperson. I'm going to have to overcome these, these objections in the marketplace caused by that negative sentiment of churn. Uh, I just don't want that. I don't want to have to deal with that. So I'm going to go find another place to, to, to work where they get this. And I'll say one more thing about this, that, that I sometimes raise this to just be provocative when I'm talking to, you know, maybe a group of CEOs or maybe just one CEO to try to get their attention. You know, if you are knowingly allowing bad fit customers to be signed, yet you are investing in customer success management and anything else to do with customer success, you know, after the sale, then you are uh, you're a bad CEO because you are, you are investing in something <laughs> sure. that you are absolutely know is not going to work, right? Because so you know it's it's it just doesn't make any sense to invest in customer success and yet knowingly allow bad fit customers to be signed. So one of the things I, I I tell people this is an actionable thing that your audience, you guys listening, you could do this right now. I suggest it is sit down and figure out what the characteristics of a bad fit customer look like, so that you can then go to your salespeople and say don't sign customers that have these characteristics. You can go to your marketing folks and say, let's make sure that we're not somehow attracting customers that have these characteristics. And, and if you do that, um, you know, you're going to be in a much better place. I'll tell you, salespeople will close customers, you know, in, in a lot of, a lot of times they're not doing anything nefarious. They're not really trying to close bad fit customers. They've just never been explicitly told this. These are the characteristics of a bad fit customer don't sign them. Well, what you're, what you're talking about, though, is really interesting. Is, is sure. you know, We've had a number of guests on the show. We talk about this you know, age-old problem of sales marketing alignment. But really what we're saying is that you got to throw customer success into that equation as well. And it's not just about sales marketing. It's about customer success really helping define. Because your third law of customer success is you got to make your customers wildly successful. They expect you to make them wildly successful. If, totally. if you're not aligned with that that expectation by just signing anybody, as we talked about, that's really problematic. I mean, that's that is going to stunt your growth a big time. Oh, it's 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 definitely. I mean, it's going to hurt everything. And and you're you're right. This alignment needs to be there. Um, but I want to be really clear. I mean, you know, if, if you're a customer success person listening to this, um, you know, I, I would maybe not lead with the bad fit customer uh, thing. If hopefully leadership will take the initiative and do that. Start by feeding back to sales and marketing the things that good fit customers are experiencing, um, the the use cases that are successful, the things they say, the words they use, the way they talk about not only our product, but what they do with our product so that you, 
you can tell sales and marketing to use this language that we have so much information on our customers, mostly kept in the customer success management area, that if we can feed that back to sales and marketing, we could make sure that we are really entering that conversation already taking place in the customer's mind, which is their desired outcome. It's what they need to achieve and how they need to achieve it. And then if we can use the language that our customers use and talk about the use cases that are, that are successful, that's fantastic. So if you can, as a customer success person or organization, help sales close more deals and help help marketing, you know, get more MQLs and SQLs, um, increase the pipeline. Then you can go back and say, by the way, these are the, these are the things that aren't working so well. So don't close those, right? Lead with the positive thing, help them do, do more of their core, uh, you know, help them achieve their core goals and then come back and, and say, by the way, don't close these customers, but le- management leadership in the organization should start by defining what your bad fit customers are. And that's what I do with any, any company I work with. Just the first thing we do is, is lay that out because that's going to change you know, a lot of things, if we can eliminate those bad fit customers right out of the gate, we don't even, we don't even sign them. That's going to have a positive impact on everything going sure. forward. Well, so sort of interesting, you know, thought perspective is you say, okay, we've got, so we've defined, especially in the SaaS business, we define this sort of hierarchy where we've got uh, sales development reps feeding leads to account execs. And there's this perception that, you know, the account execs somehow are the the alpha dogs at the top of this pyramid and customer success is down the pyramid somewhere, maybe above SDRs. But what you really look at it is, you know, when you look at how the company grows, it's really the, the sales is just really a feeder to the customer success. Yeah, I mean, I mean, is, is it really time to sort of, or are you seeing people even sort of rethinking sort of this whole, you know, hero's notion of, of new account acquisition and saying, well, it's very important, but I mean, the real top dogs are the customer <laughs> success people. Well, I mean, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of, as you can imagine, there's a lot of pushback from sales on, on that. Um, I'm sure. I, try to, I try to talk about the fact that, look, you know, if we, if, if we sign a customer on on one year contract um, and we keep that customer for five years, then that initial sale of that first year contract is only 20% of the overall customer lifetime value. Most of the time, sales-driven companies and certainly the sales organization that, that doesn't have any of their compensation or, or, or metrics tied to retention, they look at that initial sale as 100% of the lifetime value of the customer. That's all they really care about. <laughs> um, but, but as a company, we have to look at it and say, you know what? If, if, if we just get them to renew at the same level uh, over that, over that five-year period, then that initial sale is really only worth 20% of the overall lifetime value. Yes, it is incredibly important. You know, we have to have that initial sale. But if we do things right and we actually grow the customer over, right. over those five years and maybe even get them to stay an extra year, you know, we might get to a point where that first year, that first year contract is worth 2% of the overall lifetime value of the customer. Again, still absolutely critical that we sign the customer. Sure. But what if we don't do it right and, and we miss out on all of that stuff that takes place after there? So, you know, to your point, it, I, I like to look at it not as the customer success organization is the hero. I like to look at it as we are a company all moving in the same direction and that we're not separate parts of this. We're all moving together. And I think if we can look at it that way and sales is not this thing that sits out there on its own and does whatever it wants, but rather we're all in this together. I think that's what needs to change. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's a great, a great vision to have. Um, so another one of the things that would sort of tied in what we were just sort of talking about is a key rule is this obsessively, obsessively, I can talk today, obsessively <laughs> improve time to value. Yeah. And that's such a critical thing that I think that, 
you know, anybody in a subscription business, whether it's SaaS or not, this is this is one of the key things because if people aren't getting the expectations are, look, we're going to start getting value almost immediately. Right. Well, you just said a key word, and that's expectations. And I, I say, if all we did with, honestly, if all we did in, in our lives, probably with our families and everything, if all we did was better manage expectations with people, uh, things would be so much better off. And, then, and that, is, that is super true with our customers. If, if we could just properly orchestrate what's going to happen once they sign and let them know this is what's going to happen over the first 30, 60, 90 days and be realistic about the fact that setting up your big data you know, system is not going to happen at the push of a button, but you know, we're going to have to go through this process of integration and, and implementation and whatever, and that's going to take X number of weeks. And just laying that out and being honest about it, I think things would be a lot better. Um, but to your point, we also need to reevaluate what value means to our customers. And so one of the ways I look at, at, at first value, whatever that is, it's either the point where your customer has for the first time achieved real value. So they've gotten value out of the out of their relationship with you or for the first time outside of sales and marketing, they see the true value potential in their relationship with you. Because again, in an enterprise setting, we have to mm-hmm. be realistic that a customer may not get value in the first 30 days. Experience, what, days, what right? economists call experienced value, right? Exactly, so we need to just set them up, let them know what's gonna happen, and at some point, when we've gone through some configuration and maybe they, they're starting to see something, something happens where they go, ah, okay, cool. So if you're talking about an aha moment, that's what the aha moment should be. So often people talk about an aha moment and it's, they're kind of looking at it wrong. They're, it, it's like when they first figure out what the product can actually do, mm-hmm. it's like, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. That means what you're basically saying is the customer goes in, pokes around and then goes, Oh, I get it. That's not the experience we want our customers to have. We want them to get to a point where, you know, we've facilitated this whole thing within the context of what the appropriate experience is for the customer. And they see for the first time, you know, maybe they haven't gotten value yet, but they see, okay, I can see the long term here. I know that this is going to work for us. Feeling good about this. I invested money in this transaction, of course, and, you know, to get this started, but I've invested my time and energy, but I've also invested my political and social capital within the company. And I need to get to a point where I can at least say, I did, I made the right decision. Right. If we can get our customer to that point as quickly as possible, that's what we need to shoot for. And the thing is, every customer, Customer achieves success, gets to that point on their own cadence, right? And that's what we need to understand. Yeah, okay. but that's so, a it's critical. Time to first value is super important. All right, so build off that. So the last point we have time to talk about here today is <laughs> is which I thought was really interesting is uh, customer success rule number five, which is saying you can no longer build loyalty through personal relationships. So <laughs> tell yeah. us tell us what you meant by that because that that I think is something that probably be scary to some people because. You know, a lot of people go through a career in sales thinking, yeah, you know, I can bring these customers with me or, you know, it's all about mm-hmm. my relationship with the customer, which I don't think has ever really been the case as much as salespeople like to think it is, but less, right, right. excuse me, less so perhaps than ever now. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's interesting. Um, we have to understand that no matter how big our company is, no matter how big the company of our customer is, we're still selling to humans. And so there is a relationship aspect to the, there is an, you know, we have to be in, we have to have empathy and all of that stuff that that's just sort of table stakes. That's a given. What I think what, what we're trying to say here with that, with that law is, is this, you and I can have a great relationship, but if I do not ensure that you are successful with our product, so you've not achieved your desired outcome, the business outcome through the appropriate experience with 
our, with our product or through our, our, the interactions with our company, um, through the consumption of my service, whatever that is, we have a great relationship and what that's going to, the only thing that that great relationship is going to ensure is that it's awkward when you tell me that you're, <laughs> you're canceling and moving on to a different company right. because we ha- so we have to ensure success. It's, it's no longer lock you into a five-year contract and, and, you know, over a couple of steak dinners and, and, and call it a day that might be still how you sell. We may still have a five-year contract. Uh, that's, this doesn't, you know, longer term contracts are not, are, are, are still out there. But the point is, you know, even on a three-year contract, I've seen it where companies churn out, they don't renew and they cite things that happened in the very early stages of the relationship. Sometimes they even cite things that happened during the sales cycle. Sure. They were planning their escape, you know, while, while they were, while they were, uh, getting started. Um, but the bottom line is we, we can't rely on just that, that relationship to keep the customer. You have to make sure that the customer is achieving their, des- their, their desired outcome through the interactions. By the way, part of that appropriate experience may be a, a more tightly coupled relationship. Okay. So that's, what's going to ensure that you're giving them the appropriate experience. But I'll tell you what, if you can't help them achieve that business outcome they're looking for, like that's it, no matter how great that relationship is, you're, you're, you're done on the flip side. I'll, I'll just throw this out there. I do a lot of work overseas. I do a lot of work in Brazil actually. And, and there culturally relationships are incredibly important. Well, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of companies actually struggle with scaling because the relationships are so heavy and, and we have to really put a lot of, a, a lot of planning and a lot of processes in place to make sure that the relationships don't get so heavy that we can't, we can't really make sure all of our customers are successful. Right. So there you, you have a situation where, uh, it's, it's such a reliance on relationships. It's actually affecting the ability of the company to, to grow and scale. So relationships obviously play a role in this. I, I never want to take that away. I never want to take the humanity of, of this out of or, uh, humanity out of this situation. We just have to realize that it ultimately comes down to making sure the customer achieves their desired outcome. That's, that's yeah. it. If they're, well, the relationships they're not like, doing that. They will eventually go. Right. Well, the relationships, yeah. even on the sales side, on the pre-sales side, it's, yeah, you know, people want to still, just to your point about you know, cling on to the notion that you know, play around to golf, steak, take them out to lunch, whatever. And then, you know, obviously less so perhaps with uh, you know, SaaS business, but sure, sure. in sales. But it's really more and more, and almost exclusively, it's about what you can do for the customer, yeah. even on the pre-sale side, right? I mean, they have a job to take care of. Is that they've got to make a decision about you know, achieving the solution and value for their company. If they don't think you can produce that for them, doesn't matter how much they like you. Yeah, they're not going forward with you. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're seeing. I, I haven't seen too many situations lately where where people are 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 clo- really great salespeople, uh, or even even less productive salespeople are closing deals based simply on their on their ability to charm someone. I don't. I don't think we're we're there anymore. Nope. Um, but certainly keeping you know even if you were able to start a relationship like that, I don't think it's it's one that would last if the value wasn't being consistently delivered from the vendor to the customer. Exactly. All right. Well, Lincoln, it's been awesome. great, great talking to you. So uh, tell folks how they can connect with you. Uh, my website is 16ventures.com. I, I publish so much about customer success there. Lots of updates uh, to the stuff that we covered in the book. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Lincoln Murphy. You can just Google Lincoln Murphy and probably find a lot of stuff that I've uh, talked about uh, or contributed to on other people's uh, websites as well. So um, 
this was awesome. Thank you so much for having me here. Hey, my pleasure. Glad you are able to make it. And friends, thank you for spending the time with us today as well. Make sure you join us again tomorrow. But until then, I'd really appreciate if you go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review for Accelerate. We want to hear what you have to say, good or bad. And if you take a screenshot of your review and email it to me at reviews at accelerate.fm, I'll send you a free digital copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 